open the Bible and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2 as we stand for the reading of God's word. Acts of Apostle chapter 2 from verse 14 to about 21. Time has failed me. I was hoping to read from verse 1 in your hearing, but suffice that I've read verse 1 before, and I want to take speed from verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on the male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Father, let the entrance of this word brings about life, light, illumination, encouragement, and strength. Amen. Please return to your seat. The scripture that is before us today is unique. It's unique in the sense that this is about the first Christian preaching ever recorded in the pages of the scriptures, particularly the New Testament. This is the first time a believer, a Christian, post Christ's ascension, will be preaching and preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the record of a preaching that you've seen after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, i.e. the Pentecost. And you recall in our last meeting, I share with you how these men of Galilee, mostly fishermen, 
were speaking in other languages that were not known to them prior. And let me emphasize that. Other languages that was not known to them. They were not speaking gibberish. They were speaking languages that they have not learned before. For instance, if you are an Okrikaman, and then you are not speaking full food day that you have never learned, it is called speaking in another language. And you know, some of the translation problem that have dug many people is that in King James era, another word for language is tongue. And you can see that in the book of Daniels, all nations and tongues. Tongues means language. You know, assuming the rendition of that word remain, and the spirit gave them, they began to speak in other languages. I think some of the, I think ESV and some other modern translation uh, has uh, kind of made some corrections to that. It would have been much more easy to reason than when you keep it like in other tongues. That's, I'm not going to all speaking in tongues. You know, speaking in tongues is easy to say that speaking in other language. Assuming you say, I am speaking in other language, your foolishness should be corrected immediately than when you say, I'm speaking in tongues. That is a story for another day, okay? So this is the first time that we are hearing preaching from the mouth of a man endowed, imbued by the Holy Spirit. The first preaching accounts in the New Testament. And the, apart from the Jewish people, every other nationality that have come to Jerusalem for the Pentecost could hear them glorifying God in their own native languages. They were speaking, people were hearing Yegba, Yoruba, Okun, and also and so on. People were hearing, and the list of the tribes were there. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and, and Phrygia, and on and on and on. They were hearing the apostles glorifying God in their own languages. There are a few things that you should not have in your head reading this scripture. Uh, calm down. I'm not going to, you're speaking in tongues today. That is, I'm about three Sundays away from there. Okay. Whether you should speak like this or not. Because that's where you want pastor to say. Oh, we should not speak in tongues. Oh, we should speak in tongues. That's not, <laughs> drink water and forget about that. And, uh, but there's some idea that you should not have in your head coming to this scripture. The first thing, and I think I agree with uh, John's thought, is that the Jews approached the disciples and said, you are drunk. And Peter said, we're not drunk because this is 9 a.m. Perhaps in their own time, people don't get drunk around 9 a.m. But if you have been to Joss, particularly <laughs> around Ferengada, 9 a.m. Is, is even too late. I don't know how many people are, I, I don't want to get into trouble, but 
But at that time, in the time of, at the time when, uh, when Luke was penning this down, the time where this phenomena happened, people don't get drunk early in the morning. And even today, reasonable people, I'm not saying some person are reasonable, good people, reasonable people, don't take Goscolo in the morning. If you don't know Goscolo, then ask, uh, uh, who should I ask? Jacob, should I ask you? You, know? <laughs> you, don't, you don't drink in the morning. There's, there's an advert. Don't ask why pastor know about the advert. It's, it's, it used to be on the billboard. About uh, six, uh, it's, it's six, six, it's, is it? You know it. <laughs> 17, uh, 1759. An advert, that advert is in relationship to HAP. No HAP? Guinness. Oh, why do you know that? <laughs> Thank you, Brown, for being so close by. <laughs> The idea is that at least 1759, that is what, 17 is what, that is 5.59. Around 6 p.m. going forward, those who drink can drink. So Peter said, this is not a result of intoxication. And then he began to give his explanation. He said, some ideas you should not come here with. The first idea is that you should not think that the, the apostles were behaving drunk Therefore, the Jews conclude that they were drunk. It, is, it, it wasn't that when the Holy Ghost came upon them, they were all on the floor rolling. And ushers were picking them up. And then some were in water, some ran into break chairs, broke the high priest's uh, uh, cup. No? Nothing. They were speaking. They were speaking. And they were standing. I hope you understand. That nobody was on the ground. And there, there was no commotion. They were speaking in human language. The only difference is that the language they were speaking, they have not learned it, learned it before. So the Jews were the enemies of these guys. So they just give them what you don't know, you labor. Like Andrew people say, if your enemy is cooking good soup, you will say it's cooking what? Yes. It's cooking porridge or something. something yeah, I don't. There's something else, I don't. But if your if your if your enemy is cooking fine food, and the smell is crossing over your fence to your own house, you tell nah, forget about it. It's cooking. It's cooking rubbish. Forget about that smell. It's just rubbish. If you are that food is poison, actually, you know that's what was happening here. Just a label to call them drunk. And precisely, Stott was correct when he says that. That the Holy Spirit, one of the chief gifts of the Holy Spirit is self-control and not the loss of self. Let me repeat that. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is self-control and not self-loss. So when I say, I will pray, I will pray, and then they are holding you down. <laughs> Something else is, 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 I'm saying this with care for them because I was there. There is the idea of a get drunk, get drunk. And then you are all over the place. Ushers are just ushers are holding you down. Because now you don't know what is happening. Except for sometimes when your wallet is falling, those guys, when your, their wallet is falling, they put it back. <laughs> of course you knew what you were doing. You know. So don't think that they were drunk. They were drunk with the Holy Ghost. And then they were... In fact, under Kenneth Hagin ministry, 
There are some guys that call them spiritual bartender. Yes. They can get you drunk in the Holy Ghost that you see a keyboard is running and stand on the keyboard like this and, break the, and just break the keyboard. And, uh, <laughs> yes. You see people running on top of people, laughing and falling. They say, yeah, it's, it's, it's Holy Ghost at work here. Here, it's not that they were manifesting drunkenness. How many of you have seen 120 people get drunk at once? How many of you have seen it? It's not possible. possible. Secondly, there should be no misconception in your head that what was happening on the day of Pentecost was the miracle of hearing. And there is a wrong teaching out there that suggests that what was happening was that those who heard them spoke were not really hearing them spoke in their language. Is that God supernaturally worked on their hearing so that whether the apostles were speaking or they were not speaking, they were hearing something. That is so much about those people that were hearing, not about the apostles. The apostles were, some said the apostles were not even speaking. But as, they were, as the Holy Ghost came upon them, everyone began to hear something in their ear and they, mis, they mistook it for God speaking through the mouth of the apostles. That was wrong. Thirdly, it is not a gibberish or gibberish or gibberish. It is not a gibberish. It is, they were speaking language. I have stretched that enough. Okay, you can find me by the gate after the service if you want more about that. It's not a gibberish. What is gibberish? Gibberish is an unintelligible words. Like all that I've just said now never happened. They were speaking, and the Bible told us, tells us now what they were saying. What were they saying? They were glorifying God. These are the three negatives you should clear your mind. But at this point, we are not in Corinth yet. Don't start going to Corinth. I say, what was happening in Corinth? We are in Acts chapter 2. And I'm saying, what was happening here was not gibberish, it was language. It's called glossolalia. But there's a point that we can take away. Number four is that what was happening here was a supernatural ability to speak in a recognizable language that they have not learned before, and that is thoughts. It is a recognizable language. And let me just help us. If you are of my age group, you recognize that the original Pentecostal movement never saw speaking in tongues as gibberish, true or false. The early days of speaking in tongues in America Around 1906, the Azusa phenomena, people who speak in tongues and the discernment could be, oh, Itoro is speaking French. Oh, Tam is speaking uh, Spanish. That was what was happening there. In fact, a lady 
made an attempt to transcribe what she was even speaking on paper and calls it Chinese. It's just that when Chinese people read it, they say, no, this is not even, <laughs> it's not our language, something else. But I us move on now to, to, yeah, we're not speaking, we're just praying, it's called prayer language. There's nothing called prayer language in the New Testament, never. Because God understands every, every tongue, true of us. There's nothing like if you pray in tongues, your prayer moves faster. No, prayer does not move like that. Prayer moves faster when it's prayed in the name of Jesus. Whether it's in Yoruba or it's in Ibibio uh, or whatever, God understands every language. Don't deceive yourself that if you pray in tongues, you are praying in the spirit. And then if you pray in Yoruba, you are praying. Get the answer for yourself. Okay. This is just caveat. Let me get to my sermon. And I want to talk about what Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. About his preaching. By next week upward, I'll get to the details, the exegesis of the details of the preaching of Peter. But let's look about the body language of the preaching today. The first thing we learned that Peter's preaching was very powerful. Look at verse 14. Very powerful. It was power preaching backed by the Holy Spirit. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. It's like Peter now, who used to be a coward, standing before this ferocious mob on the day of Pentecost, and he's like repeating the Shema, like, hear me, as if he does have some measure of authority. Of course he does. Because the authority by which he's speaking now is not his. This is not Peter, the fisherman. This is not Peter, the one of the apostles. This is Peter, filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and his preaching. There is no equivocation. There is no ifs. There is no may. It is what I'm about to speak to you is authoritative. As if it is coming out from the mouth of Yahweh himself. The so men of Israel, dwellers of Judea, give ear to what I'm about to say. Listen to me. Because their entire life and journey as a people, depends upon that which he was about to say. It's a powerful preaching. And this is a fulfillment of the prediction of Christ to his disciples, that you shall receive what? Power. When the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and you shall be my witness. So power had come upon Peter and the 11, and the 12, and the 11, and then he is speaking from the point of authority, the Holy Ghost is enabling him to speak powerfully. It is a sermon that comes with boldness, that comes with courage, that comes with authority. A good sermon that is patterned according to the New Testament principle is a sermon that is backed by power. Sermons are not lectures. Sermons are not suggestions. 
there is a new movement uh, in America, I think it's dying down now, called the New Waves, that don't really, when you come to church on Sunday, don't preach from the Bible. It offends people. Let's discuss. So we sit together and then we, we discuss. And I've mentioned to you before, I was um, a guest speaker in the, in the church uh, in Europe, and the pastor has raised the church to the point where preaching was becoming meaningless. So when the pastor is preaching, you can say, Pastor, stop, stop, stop. Eh? What, what did you say again? The pastor will say, okay. And the pastor, perhaps we should just, let's just discuss. And then Andrew will say his own, say his own. I wonder I watch how this man does this. It's okay. What do you think? It will give her own idea. It's okay. I think I think that is right. That's right. And that person said, I think I think you are not too far, of course, because C.S. Lewis believed that. And then another person gives this. I think Spurgeon also uh, believes that. Oh, you. Oh, John Owen believed that. So at the end, all of us are ah, all right. That is not preaching. Preaching from the point of the New Testament is authoritative. Because you are declaring the finality, the inerrant word of God. It is not a homily. It is preaching with power. Power to save. It's a dunamis preaching. In the second place, Peter's sermon was reasonable. Was reasonable. It is not a sermon that suggests that they should throw away their reasoning so they can listen to a man filled with the Holy Spirit. It is reasonable. It appeals, first of all, to the scripture. You reason with them from the scripture. He didn't say, when they were asking him, are you guys drunk? It's okay. Do you want more? Do you want it? I don't know. his jacket. You know how we do it these days. How do you know I want to throw it? Then he moved his jacket. It's okay. You think we are drunk? You want some? Why do you want it? And then we just throw the jacket and then hey, there's a cascade. No, no, no. He just mentioned as quickly as he can and said, well, guys, we are not drunk. And bam, he was in the scripture. Because biblical preaching is biblical preaching. Is biblical. He took them straight to Joel and began to reason with them. He believed that what he had to say is reasonable, is cogent enough. It can be dissected. It can be understood. He didn't say, well, guys, what is happening to us is a mystery. You can't understand it. Just, just get into the move. Just get into the move. No. He said, what is happening today is a fulfillment of a prophecy given by Joel. And then he took them to Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. Turn to Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. I know many of you don't know where Joel is. I won't tell you. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and uh, on your young men and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servant in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. I mean, you can see effectual calling in this place. You can see election in this place. Christians are survivors. They are those whom God has called. The remnants that have come out of great destruction of the earth. He reasoned with them. He didn't impose upon them the new idea, the new wave that they must believe. He, he, he took them to the scripture and reasoned with them. And it's so much more than just reason from, from, from Judah. Because what was happening here was epochal in the history of Israel. And I will take you back to a, a bit of history. You know, in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, Moses was tired of work. And I'm sure Jethro, yeah, Jethro had come. Jethro, his father-in-law, had come. And God told Moses, select 70 men that I will remove spirit from your head and put on their head so they can bear your burdens. And then 68 men appeared and two were absent. And then the 68 that came, God removed the spirit because at this point, the spirit had not been given. Remove the spirit on top of, that is on Moses and place on 68 that were present. And they all began to prophesy. But there were two that were not in the assembly. They were just in their own house. Because their name was in the register, the same thing hit them at home and they began to prophesy. So a young man ran to Moses and said, two guys are prophesying outside this church. They are not part of here. They are outside prophesying. And Joshua said, Moses, stop them. And what was Moses' answer? He said, he said I wish... I pray that all of God's people prophesy. As for the meaning of prophecy, I think we've dealt with that severally. If you hear the word prophesy, it doesn't really mean who has this number? Zero, eight, zero, three, no, no, no. That's not a biblical prophecy. Oh, I can see you wearing a yellow a boxer. Can you, if you are the one, can you run out quickly, quickly? And then, no, that's not what prophecy is about. It's about speaking, speaking the goodness of God, speaking the wonder, the wonderful works of Jesus. And Moses said, I pray. And that was the trajectory of the redemptive history where the entirety of God's people will be filled with the Holy Spirit and by extension become prophets. So that, that was the prayer of Moses. In the days of Joel, that became a prophecy that the day will come surely. God will pour out his spirit on all flesh across class, ethnicity, and whoever, and then God's people will prophesy. All the distinctions of they shall prophesy, they shall see visions, dream, are 
talking about one thing. I don't have time to talk to you about that. They are saying about they say one thing because I recall in those days, myself and my friends came back from secondary school and we began to speak in tongues in our village church. And the elders ran from their homes and they came and stood by the window and they saw us hitting our head on the wall like this, like this. And the person said, what happened? And then we told them, this is Pentecost. Of course, we were excommunicated. <laughs> we were of course. I mean, the church in the 80s was a serious church. I'm telling you. I was in a charismatic meeting over the week and it, one of the pastors drew a chart on the, on the board and said, he put character on one side and put charisma on the other side. And asked all the pastors there that if you put the older Christians in the 80s on this church, where would they fall? And all the pastors said they'll fall on the side of character. What that means is that the church of the old, the church in the 80s and 90s, where they have character. The church of today have charisma without a. <laughs> we all agreed. <laughs> We, we, we stand out. And the reason why we were called back was that I was able to move all the youths out of the church and the women, of course the women. And most of us were the choir members and we beat instruments. I was I, 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 very good with uh, percussions. My brother was on the drum. We left the church. Okay, let's hear go happen. And by that time the church was already declining to the extent that if there's no musical instrument, church cannot function. And I can tell you today, there's some church today, if there's no keyboards, they can't function. So you have to pay through your nose to acquire some keyboards to, if, yes, and that's totally for another day. So after a while, why are we fighting? Let's come and have a dialogue and debate. Where did you get this spirit from? And then we took them to Joel. Yes. I was their leader. I, I took them to Joel and scattered Joel for their face. So one elder, I remember, he said, so, he said, he said why are we not speaking in tongues? And I say, look at the Bible. The Bible says the elders will dream dreams. <laughs> he says, so, oh, our own is dreams. I say, yes. <laughs> so allow her to speak tongues. You don't bother yourself with speaking in tongues. Your own is to dream. And the man says, how fair is that, that? So how do you dream? And then that's another story for another day. So we won the day. And the elders could not rebuke us to, because we say, look at the scripture. If you're not dreaming, dream is your own fault. <laughs> but we, we are prophesying now. <clears throat> and we are admitted. That was 91. That is way, way, way back. And God said, I'm going to pour my spirit on all flesh. No distinction, no Jew, no Gentile, no rich, poor, no class, no slave, no master. I'm going to pour my spirit on all flesh so that people can call on the name of the Lord. So what Peter was doing is that he's reasoning with these Jewish people from their own Old Testament scripture and history. It is a combination of history and exegesis of a text of a scripture on the day of Pentecost. Biblical preaching is preaching from the Bible. Biblical church is running church in accordance with the Bible. He'll reason from the scripture. And the part we are going to preach the other time is that he also reasoned with them on the necessity of Christ. 
he moved them from the experience as quickly as he could, get down into scripture, and navigate them back to Christ. That was the preaching on the day of Pentecost by Peter. The preaching was powerful, was punchy, was pungent. The preaching was reasonable. People could put two and two together and say, it makes sense. Moses spoke about this. Joel spoke about this. That person spoke about this. This has been the expectation of our patriarchs. They could reason out from the scripture the validity of the phenomenon. It is not a phenomenon that happened extra Bible. It is not extra biblical phenomenon. And if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice that believes that you can have an experience today as a Christian, extra scripture. You are lying to yourself, regardless of how heavy that experience is. You should be suspecting any preacher who is preaching to you without the Bible being open. Who is just walking around, talking to you, touching your hair, talking to you from his own mind, giving you an example. Too much of an example. Oh, one day I was in India. Who wants to know about your India trip? Oh, one day I was, uh, I was in a bomber show. Uh, one day a woman was having this. One day somebody fell down. Do you need this or that was uh, The brain scatter. Then the brain came back together. It's stories. Preach from the scripture. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God. For the saving of sinners. Anything short of that is human idea, is humanism through the back door. Amen. Amen. The preaching was powerful and reasonable. Christianity is a reasonable religion. You can, you can look at the scripture and it makes sense. The story of creation makes sense. The story of redemption and atonement makes sense. It's a reasonable calling. It is not a mystical, dark hole, rabbit hole religion. It is a religion that makes sense. Thirdly, that preaching was passionate and persuasive. Passionate and persuasive. Look at verse 14 again. He began to address the men of Judea. Men. He, 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 he called them men of Judea. Verse 22, he called them men of Israel. Verse 29, he called them brethren. He, he appeals to their emotions. He, he appeals to them. He persuaded them passionately. He was not looking down on them and saying, guys, we are the super apostle. You are, he said, we are my brothers. This, is, this promise is for you and your children. He appealed to Jesus. He, he persuaded them through the lens of Jesus. He appeals to David. He appeals to Jewel. He appeals to Moses. It, he was persuasive. He was not shoving down this reality through their throat. He was persuading them. He was pleading with them. He was powerful but persuasive. He was powerful but passionate. That was the preaching on the day of Pentecost, as we see. It was not an idea of apostles who threw away the scripture and began to dispense the Holy Ghost to people. Nobody had the right to dispense the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost comes on whom he wills, and it happens on the day of Pentecost, the way it happened. It was a powerful preaching. It was a reasonable preaching. It was a very persuasive and passionate preaching. He reasoned with them from the scripture, reasoned with them through the lens of, of, the, of Jesus' experience and that of David. 
And of course, from next Sunday, we'll begin to unpack those strand, Moses, Joel, Jesus, David, and all the scripture that Peter quoted in Acts chapter 2. Now, let me round up by giving you some point of application. In our church, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, true or false. What I mean is that all those who are born again are priests because of their union with Christ. We do not talk about the prophetical hood. That is a bad language, but that's the way I want to put it. We don't talk about the prophetic among Christians. That all those who are born again too are prophets. That when a man becomes born again, God put words in his mouth. The words about the coming kingdom and the words about the experience of Christ that they have had. Every believer is a preacher at a level. There is no dumb preacher. There is no dumb believer. A believer speaks the goodness of God. A believer speaks the glory of God. A believer speaks. They speak. Believers speak. They speak. We are all preachers in our own right. And we are also kings. We, 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 we kind of judge this earth. A believer is like a king in his own domain. They look upon the debauchery of the world and make a judgment. So whatever Christ is, because of our union with him, we share in that experience at our own human level. Christ is our priest, our king, and our prophet. Those elements of these offices rubs off on all believers. And the, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's who we are. If you know this, you'll not be climbing, <clears throat> you'll not be going around looking for some things that you are looking at. Secondly, <clears throat> God, in his own wisdom, chose that preaching is the way by which sinners are drawn to Christ. Preaching and not demonstration. And as we have seen in Peter's message, any church that is not preaching is not the church of Christ Jesus. The centrality of our gathering is preaching. All that we do revolves around preaching. It is by preaching the word of God, preaching the word of God alone, that sinners are drawn to salvation. The purpose why Christianity exists is for the saving of souls. And if we are not in the business of doing that, we are not fulfilling the great, com uh, the great commission. Finally, because of the birth of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit, all can come to salvation. All without exception can come to salvation. All without qualification can come to salvation. All that God will call to himself can come to salvation. Slave, free, can come to salvation. Women and men can come to salvation. Rich and poor can come to salvation. Salvation has nothing to do with your status. You don't have to be rich to be saved. And you don't have to become poor to be saved. All can be saved by Christ. And I commend all sinners today to come to Christ. Don't think you can be good enough for salvation. No one can. Salvation is a gift from God through Jesus Christ and by the application that comes by the hand of the Holy Spirit. And I call all sinners who run to Christ today and be saved. A new age open up for the world. It's a new page of history open up to us in the book of Acts 
where when God gave birth to the new community called the church and then from that point onward all nations have heard the gospel haven't they? The Greeks have heard the gospel, the Arabs have heard the gospel and the gospel continues to march on and the gate of hell will not prevail against it. Let us pray. Father we thank you for the example of preaching and what Peter taught on the day of Pentecost. It was very powerful, persuasive, and reasonable. Help us to learn and be enthused by this instrument that is before us today and be made conformable to the image of your dear son. Oh, we thank you for the salvation has come to us without distinctions, without, uh, without merits. It has come to us freely by grace. Help us to rejoice and cause sinners to run from sin today and come to the only hope, our Lord Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.